Hey everybody and welcome to the It Goes Without Saying podcast. I am Cass, your host, and I'm so excited to talk about today's topic with my special guest, Dr. Pamela Soto. Today, we are going to talk about pelvic floors, pelvic floor physical therapy, women's health. We're going to get deep into these topics, so I hope you learn something new, and I guarantee you, you will. So Pamela is my pelvic floor physical therapist, and I'm really excited for you all to meet her and hear what she has to say. She is absolutely amazing, so let's get into it. Alrighty, I am here with Dr. Pamela Soto. Pamela, thank you for joining me today. Thank you so much for having me. I'm so excited for everyone to meet you and love you like I do because I've been to a lot of pelvic physical therapists and you are by far the best and my favorite. So oh, you're just you. biased. <laughs> <laughs> you're so sweet. You're so sweet. You're one of my favorite patients for sure. <laughs> oh my gosh. Let me just do a little yeah. hair toss over the shoulder. Thank you. <laughs> of course. <laughs> so today we're going to talk about the pelvic floor and what it all is. So my first question is, what is the pelvic floor? The pelvic floor, it's kind of like that black box that most healthcare providers want to avoid, right? Yes. Um, the simple thing to say is that it's a big group of muscles at the bottom of our pelvis that supports our bladder, our uterus for females, uh, and then our colorectal, um, our colon, right? Uh, most of people think of the pelvic floor only when it pertains to females, as it pertains to pregnancy and then post-pregnancy in the sense of like, if you sneeze, you pee your pants. <laughs> <laughs> or if you're me or any woman in my family, you laugh, you pee your pants. You, you laugh, see? you pee your you pants. Jump, yes. You pee your pants. <laughs> Exactly. You jump in the trampoline, you pee your pants. <laughs> so uh, I think most people have a very narrow understanding of what the pelvic floor is. I often tell people, so I actually wouldn't even say that I'm a pelvic floor specialist. I don't consider myself a pelvic floor specialist. I actually have my specialty in orthopedic physical therapy. I did a whole residency for orthopedic physical therapy, but I quickly realized that the pelvic floor is almost seems like a, this black hole. Yep. And that is often forgotten when we're treating the whole human body. And um, I often tell people the pelvic floor is the other side of your hip. It's the connectivity that continues on from your low back. Um, it, it's it's a base of the center of you. And there's so many things that can affect the pelvic floor and it cannot be ignored. So I actually got into pelvic floor uh, kind of by accident. I was seeing that my... Um, patients that were in low back pain or hip pain, there was something that they were not getting better. They were getting about 80, 90% better, but they weren't getting to that hundred percent. And then I was like, well, you know, I'm going to take a pelvic floor course. It seems like it's a good fit. Mm -hmm. And then, wow, was I shocked at the just huge need and demand that there is for pelvic floor health. And then it turns out I'm actually pretty good at it. <laughs> yeah, you are. <laughs> and then I realized that I'm actually really good about creating connections with people, which is a huge necessary thing to treat this population. And uh, I ever since then, I would say over 50% of the patients that I treat are specific for pelvic floor. And I think even when I tried to cut down, because again, I don't consider myself a pelvic floor Specialist. I think there's people who go specifically to just treat the pelvic floor. Um, I think it's helped me actually that I am not a pelvic floor specialist, mm -hmm. but I'm an orthopedic specialist who happens to also consider the pelvic floor as part of the whole system um, of treating a patient and treating a person. Um, so yeah, that and that's kind of how I landed here and how I continue to learn about the pelvic floor. I continue to uh, gather information from people around me and my patients and to continue to take classes and learn how does this connect to the rest of the system that we're that I'm trying to treat holistically. Yeah, I think you do a fabulous job of it because like I said, I've been to a couple pelvic floor physical therapists. I've had pelvic floor issues for three years now, I think that I've been seeing different doctors and you're the first one that looked at it holistically. And I think that's the ticket for why I am like, I don't have pain. Yay. Congratulations. Yay! <laughs> <laughs> I'm able to do things that I don't have pain, but 
you dry needle my glutes and we yep. work on my abductors and my abductors and it's just like all combined and that's so important. So I looked up the definition for pelvic floor physical therapy and I'm going to read it to you and then <laughs> I want to hear how you would change it because I would change it. So Okay. Hit according, me. <laughs> according to Wikipedia it just says Pelvic floor physical therapy is a specialty area within physical therapy focusing on the rehabilitation of the muscles in the pelvic floor after injury or dysfunction. So there's a lot of parts of it that I don't like, but I'd like to hear what your thoughts on that that definition and how you would change it. I think it's a very narrowed definition of what pelvic floor is. Um, I mean, pelvic floor encompasses everything from your diaphragm, your deep core, your glutes, your adductors. There's the pelvic floor is a complex structure, and like I said, I wouldn't say that I know everything about it. I don't, um, but it, it involves your spine. You know, it, even if it's not specific, it still connects to your pelvic floor, and it still affects things down the pelvic floor. Um, your parasympathetic and sympathetic nervous system affect your pelvic floor. Um, the way we handle stress, the way that we breathe, affects your pelvic floor. Um, I would say that that's at, sometimes, um, and you've been a patient with me, there's been times that we've gone weeks without even looking at the pelvic floor. We're looking at so many other things that are affecting the pelvic floor as to, are you holding your breath? Are you breathing correctly? Are you actually going through life breathing correctly so that you're not putting extra strain in this group of muscles? Um, so I think it's a narrow um, way of thinking. Also, yes, it, it is our goal to get you back to function, the level of function that you had before an injury or a problem. But in the pelvic floor, especially for those who own female organs, such as a uterus or ovaries, fallopian tubes, a cervix, um, sometimes there's not an injury to it. Sometimes there's a lifetime of illness that affects the pelvic floor. Yep. So I think in that sense, there's a big gap and how we treat it because it's like, oh, well, you have endometriosis. You're not going to get better until that endometriosis is gone. True to a certain degree. But where can that endometriosis affect the uh, musculoskeletal system? And where can we help reach some of those gaps? Right. Yep. So it's not always an injury like, oh, I tore my ACL on my knee. Right. Uh, yep. Or I tore my meniscus in my the pelvic floor doesn't always do that. And a lot of times patients don't come to me with injuries. Sometimes those injuries are emotional trauma. Uh, sometimes those are um, sexual trauma. Mm -hmm. um, they're not always like a, what you would consider as a typical injury to a muscle or an organ or a tendon or a ligament or bone or structure in the, in the body. Yeah. That's, I, you've trained me well because those are the same thoughts that I had when I read that. I was like, that's a very narrow description of something that is whole encompassing for the body. And also, in my opinion, it's you should not be seeking like public or physical therapy just because of an injury. There are plenty of other reasons why you can be going. And so that leads me to my next question, which is what are some, if you can, like generally share, what are some reasons why people come and see you? And what are some reasons that you kind of wish other people would come and see you or like they should come before they get to having such like dysfunctions and such right so i would say number one it depends of course if you're female identifying a female uh, patient right you're gonna mm -hmm. come to me there's some of the things i i will tell you that i personally only see female patients or female identifying patients in um, uh, vulva owning people mm -hmm. uh, i don't do the males or <laughs> penis owning patients uh because that that's not my area of expertise and yep. i think that there's better qualified clinicians than myself to do it um so number one some of the things of course that i see a lot is the low-hanging fruit right like um people who are suffering from any urinary incontinence now i think that there's a misconception that this only happens to people after they had babies yep. and the reality is i actually have a lot of patients who are really young as young as in their teenagers <laughs> teenage years who are having difficulty or people who are maybe later in their 20 years, but they've experienced in these urinary leaking way before, like since teenage years, mm -hmm. um, whether it's peeing with seething, laughing, coughing, you know, yep. <laughs> or, yeah, or peeing when you're trying to lift something heavy. 
right? That's actually loose. And you see this a lot in, in powerlifters, especially because a lot of more women are uh, participating in powerlifting and lifting heavy things, which mm-hmm. is awesome. Yes, power uh, too. Yeah, but I see videos online where it's almost like a, a source of pride that like, I lifted so hard, I lost control of my bladder and I pee my pants. And it's yeah. like, oh, that's not normal. It shouldn't be happening. You don't have to pee your pants in order to lift a heavy thing, you know? So um, there's also the urge. People have difficulty with actually controlling the urge to urinate. Mm-hmm. Um, you have people who actually have difficulty with fecal incontinence. Um, that's another one. Yes. Pelvic floor, also fecal matter. Yep. Um, the other ones that I see is pelvic pain, whether that is pain with simply sitting down, pain with just life. And then you also have pain with actual penetration. Yep. Whether that's initial penetration, deep penetration during intercourse or with self, um, pain with any kind of sexual activity. We also, I'm, I've treated patients with organ prolapse. Mm-hmm. So in helping with those um, patients that, let me see, um, patients that have difficulty with sexual stimulation, reaching an orgasm. Um, let me see what else. Hip pain that actually is not hip pain, it's actually pelvis mm-hmm. problems that are deriving or giving um, problems to it. Um, pain with medical examinations. Yeah. Actually going and getting like speculum examinations and having difficult pain with that, pain with tampon insertion or feminine products during your period and cycle. Um, those are another things that people often think, oh, I just thought that was the norm. Yes. Which uh, it's yeah, such... Right. I was just going to say like everything that you're saying, I myself, and I know so many other people that like, I've peed myself my whole entire life. Like with Nick, it was like a running joke in my family, which person in my family is going to pee themselves at the family function. Cause like all of the aunts, all the cousins, like everyone laughs, pees themselves. Everyone stands. Like when someone makes a joke, every woman in my family stands and crosses their legs because it's just like, everyone's going to pee. And it wasn't until I started going to public physical therapy and I was like, that's not normal. Like we're not taught these things. So everyone just kind of thinks that that's normal. And like the pain with sex or pain with like tampons and things like that. I know so many women who that they've had that for years and they just don't use them, don't have sex because they thought that that's normal and there's no way to fix that. And the fact that there is a fix and people just don't know about it because no one is taught about public or physical therapy or these kinds of issues it just yes. is mind-boggling to me. It is. And I mean, and even on the on the male issues of pelvic floor, uh, male having difficulty with ejaculation or mm-hmm. with any kind of urinary incontinence or fecal incontinence or difficulty, those are also problems that are actually related to the pelvic floor and pelvic health can actually really help with those. Um, we're, of course, always learning more. But I think the one that always amazes me is I... People and I have, like I said, I treat this every day, but uh, patients that tell me, I just thought sex was supposed to be painful. And I'm like, it's not supposed to. (laughs) It's not supposed to. It's supposed to be something that's enjoyable, of course. Yes. But uh, I've had people who are in their fourth, fifth, sixth decade of life and they're like, I didn't know it could be different. I've experienced it most of my life. And they have supportive partners. Mm -hmm. And they're like, it's still painful every time that I have. Oh. My phone started <laughs> talking on it. It's possessed. I apologize. <laughs> so uh, I've, I've had people in the pelvic floor, mind you, has had a big boom recently. Pelvic yep. floor, because it's actually become known. Physical therapists are a little bit better about advocating for it and educating patients. And the public is becoming more aware of it to where before. um and I've, I've actually had patients tell me, especially my older patients who said, oh, well, I've brought this up with my my gynecologist, my OBGYN. And they always said, oh, we'll just drink a glass of wine and relax. Oh, my God. Yeah. <laughs> and that I just makes my blood boil. <laughs> yes, it does. Uh, it's I have to practice a lot of patients because at the end of the day, it's not my patient's fault, right? It's my job to educate them. But for any healthcare provider to ever have told a woman who has concerns and be like, when I'm intimate with my partner is really painful to me. And the best answer that they were given was just drink a glass of wine. You'll be fine. And just Mm -hmm. relax. It's so minimizing to actually what the pain can be and having intercourse. And it actually, some people will go like celibacy, 
because yep. of how painful it is. They will um, it, actually it, it ruins their their completely quality of life. Um, they will avoid romantic relationships because they don't even want to get into the weeds of having to explain to somebody why they don't want to have intimacy or penetrative intercourse or any kind of any uh, intercourse or sexual activity with them because of how painful it is and because they've been dismissed so much yep by healthcare providers so um it, we're doing better you know um my younger i have a lot more younger patients that come to me and say oh you know i read online or I listen to a podcast and I've always just pee myself since I was a teenager. And I understand that this is not normal. And I'm like, no, it's not. Let's help you. Let's, let's make things better. Yes. I am lucky because I had women in my life who had had to go to pelvic floor, I cannot speak, pelvic floor physical therapy before. And so I think I told you, but after my first surgery for my endometriosis, I was 23 and it was like, a month and a half, two months later, and I was in so much internal pain and I had never had internal pain before. And it was just like, I could feel all the muscles just clenched like a fist and they would not release. And I couldn't like move. I couldn't run. I couldn't jump. I couldn't lift things. And I was in so much pain. And I went back to my surgeon and like that, he was very dismissive of me and just was like, oh, it, it will, it will calm down kind of. And I'm the one that said, well, should I go see a pelvic floor physical therapist? And he was like, eh, you can, I guess. And so I took the initiative myself, made the appointment, went, and that's when I started. And I did find some relief. I never got to where I am until I say, oh, you, so thank you. <laughs> but like you were saying with the, I can get like a firsthand example of like, I was terrified to like have sex or to do anything in that sort of manner because it physically, like I couldn't even put like, the dilator tool, which is like essentially like I had the ones that are five different sizes. So it starts like the size of your pinky and then goes up to like probably like an actual penis size. And I couldn't even do the smallest one. It hurts so badly, like in tears pain. And yeah. that's really terrifying. And as a 23 year old, which I feel is like prime time, you should be out having sex kind of situation. That's really daunting. And so then it kind of gets into the mental aspect and that fear, too which women shouldn't have to be living that way. No. And you just said something that I think is key. Um, it feeds into to fear avoidance. Yep. Uh, we have this big, the uh, fear avoidance is a big um, word to say that psychologically, you're going to start avoiding an activity because you think it's going to give you pain. And you do the activity, it gives you pain and it kind of confirms it in your brain right? It keeps saying, if I keep doing it, it keeps being painful. So it becomes this place of where do we break the cycle so you can actually participate on it. Now, mind you, there is people who are don't want to participate in sexual activities and don't want to um, be intimate with people. That is lovely. But the whole thing of saying that you're going to stop it because nobody's helping you is so incredibly unfair. Yep. And so um, just minimizing to the impact that having good um, sexual health at any age, whether you're 23 or 65, you know, yes. uh, we deserve better. We do. We deserve better. <laughs> Great <Pamela. laughs> Yes, we deserve better. So oftentimes I feel like honestly, 75% of my job is being a cheerleader. Yes. It's you are really the best <laughs> cheerleader. You really are. Thank you. Uh, and it's, it's really saying like, our bodies are capable of so much and sometimes they just need a little bit of help but you just said something like your pelvic floor was so tight and that's mm -hmm. a very common thing it's kind of like I tell people if we're stressed we hold on to tension in our shoulders yep some people hold tension in other group muscles sometimes the pelvic floor and if you're not able to use the tools that you have like a dilator set to kind of relax and stretch those muscles out because it's so painful mind you I think the smallest dilator size is, is actually thinner than a tampon yeah, it is. So, it's so it, small. Yeah, if you can imagine how painful, like I, I know because I treat it every day, but that's extremely painful. That is like say, and that's it. It's in, impacts your quality of life. What if I'm gonna go swimming? Yeah, and now you can because the feminine products. You're on your cycle, and it's just, it just makes you feel like crap. And then you're having to revolve your whole life around these, in these events that happen that make it impossible for you to take part on a normal quality of life, normal things whenever you want. Yep. I remember that after I got 
my birth control taken out, I had real fear of what was going to, because I hadn't had a period this whole time after my surgery and everything, when the pain had started of what was going to happen when I started getting my period and I was coaching as um, a fitness coach and like I had to wear leggings. They were like super tight leggings as my uniform. And I was like, what am I going to do? Because I don't think I could wear a tampon if I needed to right now. And that's like a legitimate fear. Like I ended up quitting my job for other reasons, but also like that kind of did probably pay like a part in that because I was afraid of like, what would happen here? Yeah. And that's not, people shouldn't live in that kind of fear because of something that actually with the proper care can be relieved in some shape or form, if not fully. Exactly. Exactly. I mean, you have people who stop exercising altogether. Yep. Will stop jumping with their kids. Will stop chasing after their children. I mean, I've had moms that come to me and they're like, I can actually chase my kid around the backyard now again. I can go and play in the trampoline with them again. And it's not always about just saying that pelvic floor is for sexual health. Mm -hmm. There's so many things that can impact the pelvic health and your quality of life and the things that you're going to, how you're going to go about. I mean, I have people who literally will schedule their life around their pee and frequency. Yep. Like before they take care of it, they're like, I need to pee before I leave. So then I need to schedule to drink my water at this time, because if I'm going to leave my house by this time, I got to make sure that I pee at this time so that I don't pee in public or that I don't pee my pants while I'm in the, I'm in the concert or stuff like that. And I'm like, you don't have to live like that. Yes. <laughs> you don't have to live like this. This is not healthy. This is not appropriate. It it can be so much, but that's not normal. It's not normal. It's common. I always tell people this, it might be common and you might have a lot of people in your own life, especially I think the older generation who are like, oh, that's just the way it is. Yes. You've had a baby now. You're a mom. That's just the way it is. You pee your pants a little bit when you laugh. And I'm like, no, no, no. Common does not equal normal. Yes. 100%. I love that. Yeah. Common does not equal normal. Oof. Don't yes. normalize these things. No, they're not. We're Like I said, we're doing better. We still have a long ways to go. Um, I don't think I'll be happy until I... Don't get a patient that tells me that a some and, and nothing against gynecologists. There's great ones. <laughs> there are they're hard to find, but there are yeah, just like just like there's good and bad physical therapists, good and bad for every profession, you know. Unfortunately, more times than not, in treating pelvic floor therapists or patients, uh, I see a lot of just poorly chosen words that I don't think we realize have a huge impact on our patients. Yep. And that will have an impact on them for the rest of their lives. Mm -hmm. um, and that's where I think that, like you said, something like you're an incredible cheerleader. I believe that just like you can have a really negative experience and words can really hurt you and have an impact on you. Those same words can be turned around and give you power to to take back charge of your health. Yeah. You know? So, And I think you, especially the way that you run your practice and your patients and such, like, this is like, it's a very vulnerable thing. I think for a lot of women, especially because they, it's not normalized enough that this is talked about frequently. Like a lot of women don't sit with their friends, especially older women, like, and be like, oh yeah, like I pee myself when I do this, or it hurts to have sex. And like my friends do, because I think I kind of push people to talk about these things. Cause I think that we should talk about these things, but like, it's very daunting when you're going in sometimes too. And you're like, okay, like I'm going in, they're probably going to have to like stick something up there and test it out and see what's wrong and try to figure things out. And you already have that like thought in your head of it's going to hurt. I'm going to be in pain, blah, blah, blah. And you are like, your voice is so like soothing. You should be like on like a meditation app or something, but you also like, you say such empowering things to people. And just like, you're always like, asking permission and making sure that everything is okay as you go along. And I think that you deserve an award and should be appreciated even more than you are, because this is like a very sensitive topic and a very sensitive act for a lot of people too. And you make it a lot less scary than it has to be. Thank you. I actually take huge pride in considering myself a trauma informed patient or trauma informed clinician for my patients. Um, I think that as healthcare providers, we try to, because we go through so much medical training, it's really easy for us to fall into using very big term, medical terms and jargon. Mm -hmm. And those are very scary for patients because you're speaking almost a different language. Yeah. If you're speaking in a different language, it becomes intimidating. Like, I have no idea what this woman is like 
talking to me about. And um, I I try to just talk to my patients like they're one of my girlfriends. Like if I my girlfriends hear about the pelvic floor because I'm not about to let them be uh, hurting for no reason. Yes, <laughs> not under me, not under my watch. <laughs> <laughs> you know, I'm pretty sure my friends are sick of me because I'm like, go to the pelvic therapist near you. <laughs> uh, you know, like you don't have to live like this. And they often like, I'm not ready for it, you know, but that's their decision. But um, I also take great strides that I think, and this is anecdotally, I don't want to say that this is, maybe there is research. I just simply haven't looked into it. But me, myself, as a woman, when I've gone into, um, any kind of even like a pap smear it's almost expected that once you cross the door a clinician can touch you at any given way because it's almost like you've given it a blanketed consent form yep. you mean you did give consent to be in there you are there for an exam but i don't think anybody should ever be touched even me as a healthcare professional even you as expecting it nobody should ever be touched without explicit consent yes I work really hard to say, like, make eye contact and say, hey, this is the next portion of our exam. Are you okay with us continuing? And part of that is because a big percentage of my patients actually are coming to me having pelvic floor pain because of trauma given to them by healthcare providers. Yep. It's incredible. That's what my, that's what my initial one was, was I never had any issues internally because I know a lot of women, a big symptom for endometriosis is internal pain. And I never had that. And I've always felt very lucky. And after that first surgery, horrendous internal pain. And they think like I, my first physical therapist that I saw was like, it's trauma from the surgery. Like your body was invaded. Your body went into defense mode and it needs to learn that it's okay now. And you have to kind of retrain it. But like that, it's terrifying. <laughs> like it that's is. what happens. Absolutely. I mean, I have patients who had, who were having IUDs put in and that it was so painful that they were held down to the table. Oh. And now every time that they go in for any kind of medical exam, their body immediately goes into defense mode. Their nervous system kind of goes into not feeling safe. I've had patients who are like, yeah, you know, my doctor just kind of jammed that speculum in and I've been in pain since then. It hurts so bad to have sex, to just do anything. Or, hey, my doctor just kind of dismissed me and I just don't feel listened to or the words that we use and it was like just relax or as they were going through a medical exam and they were just told just relax it's not that it's not that painful um so i take huge huge strides and a big pride that almost all of my patients always give me the feedback of like i feel safe with you and i feel like there was nothing that was going to be done to me without my explicit permission whether that it was checking a muscle the the strength whether it was uh, actually touching to see how my pelvic floor was reacting to any kind of activity or breathing or anything like that every step of the way i always say hey i need to do this i said okay if i do it yep. just because a patient walked in and signed on a consent form to give me permission to examine them does not mean that they gave it a blanketed consent to be touched at any time without explicit permission uh Maybe I'm the exception. <laughs> no, I think that should be, you should be the rule. And I think that every doctor needs to learn that and understand that. Cause even if like a dentist or anything, like you don't just get permission just because you're in there. Like they need to ask a little exactly. bit. Exactly. And, and I think it doesn't just go in the bedroom. It should be everywhere. It should. And I actually just, it, it gives patients that opportunity because like you said, sometimes it can be very, it's something very sensitive, but especially when there's a power dynamic of a healthcare provider to a patient, there is a power dynamic. Yep. And uh, one too many times people were not aware of what an actual pelvic exam was and uh, a healthcare provider took advantage of them and actually sexually assaulted people. Mm. I mean, we saw it with the US gymnastics yes. uh, team. Doc, or Mr. Nasnar, he's no longer a doctor. He got his license. He removed, you know. Um, but we see this way too often in the medical professional, especially affecting women. Um, I, I reference sports arenas because that's usually what I keep up with more because it's, it's somewhere that I have interest in. But we see in time and time again that athletes were not even aware that they were being sexually assaulted because they thought this was a normal part of a medical exam. I think it doesn't even like pertain to athletes 
I, the only reason that I knew the first time I was having like a pap smear done of what was about to happen to me was because I have a sister and I have a mom and we talk about things like you're not in school. They're not teaching kids. They're not teaching them what happens when you have to start getting pap smears. Half of my friends didn't know that they needed to start having pap smears. I had friends that were, they were still seeing like their pediatrician. I started going to the gyno when I was in sixth grade because I had chronic yeast infections. Turned out it was a symptom of Lyme that I didn't know beforehand. So I got thrown into that realm way too, not way too early, but like earlier than everybody else. So I knew what was happening kind of, but I had friends that they were just still seeing a pediatrician and they didn't know these things. And like, they weren't as close with their family. So they weren't telling them like they were having sex and those kinds of things and had no idea. And the amount of people that I've had to like talk through what's about to happen to them before they've had a pap smear is crazy to me because what are we supposed like, how do we not know these things that are happening to our own bodies? And we're not taught about this in school. And any, I went through all the schools, went through college. Never once was I talked about my body in the way that I should have been. I was taught that you get a period it's 28 days long and that's it. And that's not even true for most people either. No, it's not. And most people will tell you, oh, it's just the bleeding period. It's actually your period, you know, the actual three to seven business days. Yes, <laughs> the yes. bleeding portion of it. Yes, uh, as a whole, and I can only speak to the U.S., our education system is failing boys and girls, yep. honestly, boys and girls in terms of sex education um, for stuff affecting uh males and females and i feel like it really minimizes and really has a narrow point of view of what sex education should be uh, just to the sex part and sexual health it, from i mean i've had young girls that we have to talk about actually wiping front to back and they're like well why does it make a difference and it's like okay if you go back to front you're going to be introducing bacteria possibly introducing bacteria to your urethral um opening and it can lead to chronic UTIs. Sometimes that's literally pelvic health. Sometimes I'm like, that's it. Go use a squatty potty, good hygiene. And they're like, why did nobody tell me this? I'm like, because it should have been covered in your basic sciences and it wasn't. And oftentimes it feels like 50% of my job is usually just educating people yeah. about their bodies. And that covers so much of it, it takes a huge load of like, oh, I didn't know that. I don't have to suffer from chronic UTIs then lead to me having to be on antibiotics that then lead to me uh, being stripped of any natural bacteria to my uh, bladder and urethra. And then I am having to have urinary incontinence. Get to the root of the problem. Yes. Um, there's like so many things like peeing after you have sex. So you don't get a UTI. Like the only reason that I know that is because of friends talking to one another and being like, pee after you have sex. Or it's like, mm, I'm having issues peeing. And it's like, did you have sex recently? Did you pee after that? And these things aren't <laughs> yeah. taught. My my favorite, like, women aren't taught about our own health situation. And this was a different time. But my grandmother had eight children. And she did not Ooh. know. Yeah, it was a different time. <laughs> she, and here you and I are making like active choices to not have children. To not have children. Yeah. I'd like to know what she would think about that. Um, but she did not know that she had three holes until my sister told her. This was probably like maybe like 15 years ago. And she did not know that she had three holes and she had eight children because uh, they just weren't taught anything. I'm like, at least I know that. But even like, I feel like some people, some women don't even know, they, they don't know their own anatomy. They don't. I mean, and and God forbid that you actually encourage any kind of self-exploration, even to learn the body to any females, because then you are setting them up to be a slut, you know? Uh, how dare you? And it's, but by that same token, you said your grandmother, I have 40 year old women who if I say can you identify your vaginal opening or your urethra or your clitoris and your in your own human enemy of course people who identify to have those body parts they would tell me no yep uh I mean I've literally had patients who had like skin sores who are not sexually active right so I know I'm ruling out any kind of sexual STI that I'm like hey were you when I'm doing pelvic stuff, were you aware that you have a sore on your labia it's it's pretty red it's pretty active um is there an infection that I'm not aware of or that you're working with your doctor and they're like 
I wasn't even aware of it. And I'm like, when's the last time that you did an inspection of your uh, vulva and your perineum and anything else? And they'll be like, never. Yeah, I'm like, What's the, what do you mean? You got to have a handheld mirror and actually take a look at these. Look at that thing. It's not going to bite you. I swear, it's not going to bite you. It's not. Uh, but I have young people. Yep. It, it, I think- yeah, it's not even just your grandma's generation. I have teenagers, people in their 20s, 30s, 40s, 50s, who have never once even looked at those parts of their body to identify them. So I'm not surprised that your grandma didn't know she had three holes. <laughs> no, yeah, it was literally the conversation that night was just absolutely insane. But yeah, but along those lines of like, we are t- always taught about masturbation like you're talking about masturbation i think in school like they mentioned that and it's always about men it's never talked about female masturbation which is like also a super important thing and like you were talking about some women may not even know that they can't actually have one because they never experience it with themselves half the time men don't really know what's going on down there like it's a situation but that's not talked about either. And it's such a taboo topic. And like, unless you're talking with your friends and they're kind of open and you're like, oh, did you do blah, 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 blah. How are you supposed to know these things? Or like, know that that's okay for you to do to actually get to know your own body. And by doing that, you could prevent some issues down the line, or you could find out about some issues way earlier before they spiral and get worse. Um, I think that you, um, and and I, I say this as somebody who sees people every day who are trying to undo what I'm about to say next. So I want to be careful about saying this because I don't want anybody to feel um, not necessarily attacked, but don't feel like they can speak about it, but uh, specific to the U.S. And this is coming from somebody who is lives in the U.S. and who grew up in this culture and is purity culture. Yep. Uh, a lot of the people that I treat and that have some of the psychological issues with some of the pelvic pain, even now when they're married with their their partner that they are very comfortable with, uh, they still find themselves not being able to explore those portions of themselves. And a lot of it is that puri culture made it seem like it was um, wrong and disgusting and that it was... Um, not worthy in that well no I wouldn't say not worthy but it was completely um just something that you simply did not do as a woman yeah and boys is it's expected it's like oh yeah it's expected Jimmy uh, has (laughs) dirty towels all over his room and this boy won't stop touching himself and it's almost like a joke joke har har you know but boys being boys yeah boys being boys but never have I heard of like women and talking to girls and be like, Hey, it's okay. If you want to explore yourself, it's okay. Yep. If you want to touch yourself, um, here's some things that might feel good or that, you know, this or that. And, uh, I think it's very much that you just said that in, in puri culture, that it's very prevalent in our society is that it's understood that boys are going to do it and that they have to do it. That it's almost like a rite of passage. Yeah. But for women, you are to keep yourself holy intact until that marriage part of it right until someone else comes until along somebody into, comes along until someone else claims you or something it's just icky it makes me feel gross <laughs> and but i think you are 100 right and i think that is like the start of it and then it just feeds into everything else which is why this isn't talked about in school like literally like i said like periods are, I did a whole project on this in college about menstrual health and how it's not talked about in schools, but it's like maybe one day of, what is it like 13 years that you're in like K through Mm -hmm. 12. And all it is, is you get a period, it's a 28 day cycle. You can get pregnant any other day, like don't have sex. And then you won't have that. Like there's barely any other talks of anything else. I think sometimes they talk about birth control, no one really explains this is a whole other can of worms, but no one explains like the issues that birth control can bring for women and how that can cause a lot of things. And that all just feeds into the lack of knowledge about pelvic floor, the lack of knowledge about pelvic floor physical therapy, which is leading me to my next point, which is the lack of insurance coverage, (sighs) which so for people that don't know, 
public or physical therapy, at least in my experience, from what I have researched, is rarely ever covered by health insurances, at least I guess in the US. But I have been going to public or physical therapy for three years. Never once has it ever been covered by any of my insurances, been paying for it out of pocket. And upon my research on Google, the reasoning why most uh, insurance companies won't cover it, what they say, is that it's not deemed medically necessary. So I interpret that as women having painful sex, not medically necessary. Women having incontinence issues, not medically necessary. Women having any issues, not necessary for anyone to help you. It is a huge problem. And that's why a lot of, at least physical therapy, pelvic floor specifically, because it is such an intimate thing. In pelvic, in physical therapy, you have a lot of overlap with patients. Sometimes a physical therapist might be seeing three or four patients, if not more, at once with Mm -hmm. the help of texts and aids and uh, assistance. So in pelvic floor, because you might have somebody naked from their bottoms down, it's not appropriate for them to be in an open gym. They should be in a private floor or a private room. And then not only that, but just you're talking about very sensitive topics that should not be overheard by anybody else, but you and your healthcare provider. And pelvic floor has made huge steps to say we cannot afford to stay open and provide good quality of care to this specific population. So if insurance is not going to cover or cover it fully, if if sometimes they cover partially, depending on, you know, the what they're treating, um, it's that we're going to go out of network and we're just going to be out of pocket. So that, number one, we can still afford to feed and pay our, pay, our physical therapists their yep. wages because we are yeah. doctors of physical therapy and special and you're working magic <laughs> you know but also that we can the biggest thing is that we can provide quality care to patients in such a very touchy and very sensitive topic and sensitive thing but yes a lot of times a woman peeing her pants after pregnancy is not deemed medically necessary it's just it's just what happens um there's a lot of things in women's uh, issues that insurance doesn't consider the big wars medically necessary, but there's a lot of things in the U.S. healthcare system that are deemed not medically necessary by somebody behind a desk who's reading a policy. This has nothing to do with pelvic floor therapy, but it just earlier this week. I was trying to fight my insurance company because they don't cover my acupuncture. And they explained to me that acupuncture is only covered when it's used as a form of anesthesia. Uh, acupuncture is not used as anesthesia that's like it can't put you to sleep like if it's doing that they've like hit nerves and paralyzed you or something like that's not (laughs) something has gone horribly wrong (laughs) but even like so i had major organs removed like i had major surgery i had a hysterectomy and they still they cover the surgery but god forbid they cover what helps after the surgery get you back to a normal functioning life? Okay, so let's talk about that, Cass, if you don't mind me. Of course, the table a little bit. After surgery, right, what were you able to do to get through everyday life? Or what were you not able to do because of this major surgery? I was not able to do anything. I mean, in the beginning, I couldn't lift things. I was not supposed to lift over 10 pounds for like six weeks. And then even after the six weeks, that's when I started coming to see you. And I still think I could barely lift over six pounds or 10 pounds. I mean, like without it causing me pain, still I am like seven months. Yeah, Yeah, I think we're almost seven months post-op and still have issues with sitting for extended periods of time, not to the extent that I used to have, but like it was so bad that I couldn't sit for like five minutes without being in pain and having like the swelling happen took me so long to be able to lift heavy weights. Like I do lift. That's like the exercise that I choose and could not lift over like 30 pounds or something like that for my lower body work. And like we worked on me doing hinging motions and that would cause me pain or sometimes a squat would cause pain. This time the internal pain was not as bad as before. Mm -hmm. So that was good. But like the sex aspect of it, I had the first time I had sex after my surgery, you recall, I ended up bleeding and had some issues then. And so that caused even more issues. And then that caused the mental fear of like, 
is it going to happen again? What does this mean? Well, and then the doctor was like, I'm not sure why you bled. You kind of have to try again because everything looks fine. And I was like, great. Thank you. (laughs) I had it again, just so you know, and it worked great. And now we're going, but like seven months, this has been a seven month process. And I now am like, I finally feel like I can do things and I'm okay, but there are still some things like I'll get a twinge or like, I can't do uh, sumo squats. Tried that. That was a no. So that's what we'll work on at my next appointment. <laughs> uh, I'm going to simplify it even more for you, right? You focus on the exercise part of it, but let's talk about that. You were, you had difficulty putting your socks and shoes on. You had difficulty yes. putting your pants on. You had difficulty. And when you say a squat, it, a squat is not just when you have a barbell of, like behind your back. Squat also means going to the toilet, sitting down on your couch, getting up from those right sitting positions and coming back up, coming up from laying down and actually sitting at the edge of your bed and then standing up, standing for a long time, walking for a long time. These are things that are not even necessarily getting back to a function where you're a high level athlete. Those things affect your everyday life, right? Yeah. Sleeping. Remember, we have we yep. have to have a lot Couldn't of lay on my side. Yeah, good lot of yes. <laughs> so these things is like, oh yeah, the surgery will fix you. But it's like, okay, and that's the thing. The physical therapy is not so much about fixing problems. It's about improving quality of life. Yep. And how dare you say that you're going to charge me and that is medically necessary to improve the quality of life of human beings. Yeah. Um, so I think that's where my my rage comes in and saying that like some of these things are not covered by insurance. It's like, but also by the same token, I've treated patients post-stroke after a year and it's like oh it's not medically necessary anymore it's been a year and it's like these patients are never going to be the same they still have no use over their right hand they can't hardly feed themselves why are you saying it's not medically necessary so as a whole there is a lot of problems with insurance but specifically to women's health a lot of things are deemed medically unnecessary because they don't necessarily affect um you're not dying Right. You're not dying. Right. You may not be dying right now, but you're slowly dying because you're losing that quality of life mentally taking a toll on you, not being able to do things, having to like for me, pre the hysterectomy, my life literally revolved around my cycle. And like like you kind of talking about how you have patients that theirs revolves around like their urination, like I would have to plan out when I was going to be doing things, what I would be doing, depending on and my cycle was so irregular too that like it would just get blown up and I am a very type a person and have to have things like planned out and that was like a very hard mental thing to have to get through and it's just not nothing is taken seriously about these things and even my first surgery half of it like it wasn't fully even covered by insurance anyway and they found a ton of endometriosis and took it out yeah and so like how how is that I think we talked about this before we started recording but like if men had endometriosis, if men had any of these issues, it would be covered by insurance. There would be a cure. People wouldn't be even having to talk about this because if it hurts men, we're going to fix it. Hence Viagra being sold everywhere you could possibly need yeah, it. Yeah, but then you need a prescription for regular birth control, at, yeah. for, for hormonal birth control, I should say. I've never had to buy Viagra, but, but like, is that held behind the counter? Like if you have to go apply by plan B, you have to go up to the counter and be like, I gotta, can I get a plan B? And it's like, and it's like super awkward and uncomfortable. And if you live in a small town, you have to drive to the next town over or the next town over because you're like, God, I'm going to see someone's mom here. But like, well, and now you have actually healthcare providers who have every right to deny you a plan B. Yeah. They, yep. they, they can say it's not within what I believe. So no, I'm not going to give it to you. So now uh, you may have to go over even more the, to the next place uh, for such things, you know? Uh Yes. It's, I mean, I've never had to buy Viagra, but I assume it's, it's, it's I assume it's just like out there and they can just be like, here you go. Anyone, you take it, you take it. I actually don't believe that like hormonal birth control should be like a prescription drug, you know, but like it's, but even birth control, like half the time you're not even taught about the different kinds of birth control. Mm -hmm. What like in even gynecologists, they just kind of throw them at you. Like I was lucky with my like second time. So I had a pulmonary embolism and I was not allowed to be put on. I had like to come off birth control for a while because they were like, oh, it was probably caused by the pick line and the birth control combined yeah. kind of situation, which also birth control can cause you to have blood clots. Fun fact, yes. um, which no one told me. 
And then years later when I was like, okay, like I would like my period was getting bad again. I wanted to be, uh, that's when I started wanting to get tested for endometriosis. And they were like, well, we're not going to do the surgery. We're just going to put you on birth control. Mm -hmm. And so I was only allowed to be on a progesterone only birth control. I had no idea that there were different kinds that there was like estrogen only, there was progesterone only, there's combo ones. No one told me. And that like, there's the IUD, there's the next one on that goes in the arm. There's the shots. There's like, aren't there patches too? I mean, they have and, patches. Um, and they have yeah. pills and like, there are different versions of the pill that you can take. And no one really explains the differences to you unless you ask. Yeah. And, but most people don't know what to ask yep. but even exactly. the iud you have different types of iud you have the copper the non-copper and such things and how they work in their mechanism of work is very different right yep. so i i don't consider myself to be an expert in that realm because i don't prescribe and i don't usually unless my patients bringing it up to me you know i kind of usually refer to saying you should talk to your prescribing um, physician, um, because it's not within my scope of practice to even give advice. But yes, a lot of people just get put on it. And then the the thing is that I don't know if you read recently that male birth control was in the development. It has been in development for decades, by the for way. Years, yeah, yeah. This has been on the works for many, many decades. It's not new, but uh, during the testing, a lot of the side effects, which were pretty mild compared to some of the side effects that female birth control is, and that's why it continues to be like, oh no, we're gonna discontinue it because the side effects are so bad of getting a headache. And being a little cranky that we don't want men to experience that. Like literally <laughs> women's entire personality changes because of birth control. Like not even for the better. Like sometimes <laughs> it can be better, I guess. But like some women, it's like I have seen stories of women who like they're on birth control. They come off and they break up with their like long-term partner because they realize like their entire personality was different. And they're like, I actually, you bother me. Like I don't actually like. like you actually like, breathe like, too loud. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Like, I know that you eat weird food. It's not going to be for me. Like, but that actually, this is just my curiosity. Have you ever had, like, when you've seen women that come off of birth control and they end up having issues and seek out pelvic floor therapy after that kind of, because it can cause like a lot of issues in like to like the tissues and stuff down there, like. So I can't speak that there's any research behind it. I can only speak about yeah. anecdotally. Um, so I don't want to, don't quote me on this one, you know. No, yeah. I definitely have, have people who have difficulty, especially in, in the realm of poor sexual pleasure and pelvic pain specific to sex and uh, penetrative intercourse actually come off of their birth control to see if that is actually playing an effect on those parts of it. Um, yep. So... Yes, but it's hard for me to say, like, did it have an impact before or after? Because a lot of times people are coming after me after they've been coming off of it. And they're like, hey, I'm still having difficulty. Now that I'm off of the birth control, I think that I can get some pelvic floor help. And maybe that can improve my whether it's my my sex drive or these things. So, uh, yes, in terms of that. But I cannot say that I've seen a causation or a correlation with it. Um, but I will always say and I always tell my patients simply because I don't have the research on my hands or the research is non-existent does not mean that you don't know your body. Yep. And I'm always going to give credit to the people and to the person who's standing in front of me and telling me it it's not right. Something is not right with me. And sometimes I tell my patients, I might not have the words or the medical diagnosis for it, but I believe you. I believe you something is not right. And I believe that maybe we can try to work together as a team to figure out what's best, that it actually helps you. So I'm never going to dismiss it simply because I don't have the research on my fingertips uh, or because I haven't heard about it yet or because we're behind on what women health issues research is, you know, so I always tell people, you know, your body best is my job to listen to you and together with the tools that I have, see where we can reach those gaps to make you better and make things better for you. But um, yeah. yes, I, I still I mean, people tell me all the time, I myself was on birth control once. It was a terrible experience for me. <laughs> horrible, <laughs> horrible, horrible experience. And I swear it off. And I was like, never again, I can never yeah. do uh, any kind of horror. And I tried two different types. And I was like, you know what, this is not worth it. Um, it was when I first got married. And I was like, I can't do this. This is not worth my time and effort. So I'm not doing it. I'm not doing it. And then yeah. 
to to brag a little bit, <laughs> recently my partner and my husband of twelve years took actually our family like um health sexual like health into his hands and he got a vasectomy so I wouldn't have to worry about it. So amazing! We talk, I talk, about, so I talk a lot about like congratulations. Yeah, he, like, that's so awesome. <laughs> he, he stepped up, and and let's give it up for like the kings that are stepping up for. Yes. There is there is a lot of uh, men who are stepping up and taking the steps. And he said, "I think you've been through enough. You don't need to worry about it." And he stepped up and he had the vasectomy. So I'm grateful for a very supportive partner who did that. So maybe I'm in a very privileged position. No, that's awesome. Yes. But I always try with uh like my male friends and such. I always talk about these things and I talk about periods and stuff because like they need it's important for them to know too. When we were talking about the education stuff. And there's a book that I read last year. It's called The People We Meet on Vacation. Okay. And the guy in it gets a vasectomy because the girl like doesn't want to have children and stuff like that. And he takes it into his own hands. And I always told told all my friends, I was like, Oh my God, that's my dream, man. (laughs) Like a man that would do that for me. Are you kidding me? I took the step for myself, but like amazing men stepping up. That's just, they they do exist. Don't settle. They do. (laughs) My my friends hate me because they're like, your husband has set the standard way too high for anything else. And so it's true. I'm not going to complain. So I shouldn't, I shouldn't complain about it, but yeah, I have. So in terms of that, I, I'm very lucky that myself have not had to experience a lot with the side effects of birth control, but I've had patients who have almost died from pulmonary embolisms from birth control. So yep. um, it's a very, I have a cousin who had a stroke because of her birth control. Yep. Yep. So I think men can suck it up and get a little headache. If it a headache, they'll be fine. Yeah. Uh, and be I fine. think that, they don't think that these issues affect them because it's not directly affecting them. But if they are even thinking about a family or have a partner that is a female, it affects them. Yep. It's so important in my mind for men to be like, I remember in elementary school, they split up girls and boys to learn about family health. And yeah. And like the girls had like our own little presentation about like, I think they like took a tampon and put it in water to like show us what would happen. Um, and like showed us like a path. Just <laughs> not at all what happens, but okay. Okay. Fair. Oh, no, it was literally just like, and the, this is so, so just like a little anecdote, but it's so funny of a boy got sick watching the video about boys health. And he came into the classroom to get his backpack to go home right as the teacher pulled the tampon out of the water and everyone just stopped and looked at this boy. And it was just the loudest single drip you've ever heard that dropped off of the tampon into the water. And the boy just like and grabbed his bag and ran out. I I think my like a family health and sex health revolved around a bunch of pictures of the most severe cases of STIs. You could like Google. Oh, yeah. the time. It's like, yeah. if you have sex, this is what happened. Um, it's like the scene from Mean Girls. You will have gonorrhea and die. die. <laughs> it was very much that like, if you get any type of STI, you will die. Uh, you will die. In the case, most STIs are actually very treatable uh, today. You know, you're not dying from them. But I remember that. And looking back now, I'm like, oh, my gosh, that cannot have. It was very much an abstinence workshop. Oh, yes. We had. Yeah. Ours was pretty much just all abstinence. And like in movies, they always talk about they always show like them putting the condom on a banana. The first time I ever had sex, we both were like, how does it work? <laughs> like, I have no idea how to put this thing on. <laughs> like, I was like, it's all you. That's your body part. I know how to put a tampon in. That's not my area of expertise here. Like, <laughs> just like even that, you're not taught about that. Like, how how do they expect us to survive in this environment? <laughs> when you're not educated, they just don't. Yeah, they're like, nope, you'll figure it out. Oh, we're definitely not thriving. <laughs> no, no, I would just say surviving, not thriving is my life motto. <laughs> Honestly, some days feel like that. Yes, absolutely. Yes. yes. Yeah. Um, uh, This has been so insightful. It's just been so wonderful. Thank you so much. Okay, I have cool. a couple um, like fans of the podcast questions, <laughs> listener questions, if you will, if you would like to answer some. Absolutely. Hey, okay. We've touched on this a little bit, but the incontinence issue. So do you have any tips or tricks for people that have incontinence issues, especially like, so having a chronic illness that also like bladder issues. And for me, it's inflammation. Like I have a lot of inflammation in my body and that always caused me, I had to be adult potty trained, Mm -hmm. um, is what 
one of the therapists that I saw called it. And I think you called it that too. when I told you about it and sometimes I lose my adult potty training skills and I have to retrain myself, but any tips or tricks you have yes. for some people? So I would say most of us have good toileting habits. Okay. Uh, the big ones that I say, number one, get a squatty potty. Please, everybody. I was literally just preaching about my squatty potty yesterday to somebody. They're the best invention. Everybody should have a squatty potty. It just it just puts your pelvis in a better position to completely relax your muscles to empty your bladder. Now, a lot of things. These are my big ones. Don't hold your breath. Uh, most of us throughout the day are holding our breath at some point in time. So catch yourself and then breathe breathe and relax um there's a misconception because a lot of gynecologists would say oh if you're leaking just do more kegels or pelvic floor yep. contractions and it's actually counterproductive most people who are having incontinence not all of them but a big majority of it is actually because their pelvic floor is too tight so doing more kegels actually does not help you it can actually make things worse so you when you're thinking about incontinence you're thinking more of relaxing the pelvic floor um for the majority, of course, majority. Yeah. everybody's a little bit different, of course. So going to the bathroom, do not rush your pee out. You're not a racehorse. Just, <laughs> you go to the bathroom and you relax. Your bladder emptying is a reflex. It's not something that you control. So once, you know, I tell people this all the time to make it really simple. There's sensors all over the walls of your bladder that tell your brain when your bladder is full. And then your brain tells your bladder, okay, you can go ahead and empty. The muscles on the side of the bladder relax. The muscle over the top of it contracts, pushing the fluid out but this is mm -hmm. not a muscle that you exert control over so number one squatty potty don't hold your breath don't rush your pee out and don't bear down especially okay. for those that have a history of chronic constipation mm -hmm. um, if you have to go mm -hmm. down or you feel that you can simply not have a bowel movement remember uh, our bowel movements also affect our bladder and incontinence or not. But if you have to, I always tell people, think about like you're blowing bubbles out your mouth. You're not bearing down and doing a Valsava maneuver, which is where you hold your breath and close your throat. So those are my big ones. Across anybody, you'd be surprised that probably like 75% of my patients, if they do those things consistently, toileting habits or potty training, <laughs> uh, a lot of their symptoms can resolve pretty quickly. Amazing. Yeah. What about, uh, this is my question off of that, uh, hovering. Oh, stop it. Stop <laughs> hovering. No. Uh, listen, I get it. None of us want to go to a public toilet. They're disgusting. I get it. Lay down paper if you have to, but do not, do not hover over the toilet. And also don't opportunity pee. Like, don't be like, oh, I'm about to go to the concert. I should go pee. No, your bladder tells your brain when you need to go pee. And it, it'll, it's a pretty smart system. Don't think that you're going to outsmart it. Your bladder will tell yep. you when you need to empty it. Don't go if you don't have to. Don't try to. No preemptive peeing No here. preemptive peeing. No, no, no. And if we have to go in public, we just are big girls. We put toilet paper down and we sit down. We don't hover because we want, <laughs> we want good, healthy pelvic floors. Yes. Strong pelvic floor queens yes. is what we are trying to be. <laughs> okay. The next one I had was, how do you know if you have a tight pelvic floor? You can always, well, and this is a difficult part, a lot of, because we really don't know about our bodies, mm -hmm. it's very difficult to identify when we have a tight muscle. And that's actually one of the biggest struggles that I have with patients. We have to do a lot of cueing and a lot of feed bio, bio, oh, it's not necessarily biofeedback, bio people think of like the computer, but a lot of cueing and a lot of tactile cueing for people to be like, oh, that's a tight pelvic floor. But some of the symptoms that you might be feeling if you have a tight pelvic floor is pain with tampon insertion, pain with intercourse, with penetrative intercourse, sometimes with non-penetrative difficulty, orgasming, incontinence, um, difficulty starting your uh, flow of urine. So those are the big ones. Um, if you don't feel like you're comfortable with touching your pelvic floor and seeing is this a tight muscle or not, go to a pelvic floor therapist so that they can guide you through what is a normal tone for a pelvic floor and what is not. Yep. Yes. Amazing. Thank you so much. This has been so wonderful. I learned things. So I know other people are going to learn things too. <laughs>
Thank you so much for having me. I hope I was helpful you were so uh, and insightful. Helpful. You were. Before you go, at the end of every episode of my podcast, we give a song recommendation. I should have warned you about this. Oh my gosh, a song recommendation. I have to give you a song recommendation? If you have one that you would like to recommend, it can be kind of about the topic that we were on, if there's anything, or it can be a song that you like that other people should like. I actually was just... Um, listening to well number one i've been on a tina turner kick same because our queen just you know passed um and i am a big Shits creek fan and my favorite song is simply the best yes because it's just, who doesn't love it's love i love love best. it's oh, i watched uh, that yesterday i was having a bad day and i was like i need something and my friend said Shits creek and i said i know exactly what episode i'm watching <laughs> Yeah, it's just a feel good episode. So it's so beautiful. But recently, I was actually listening because I am Mexican, and we have a really rich history. But recently, a song came on and I was listening to and I was like, that's interesting. I hadn't paid attention to the lyrics much. And I was like, this song, I think is talking about queer love. Oh, and it's actually called Simplemente Amigos by Ana Gabriel. Okay. And it's just talk about this couple who has a love behind closed doors. And it leaves it kind of vague because in Spanish, you can have amigos, amigas, like the male or feminine. Yes. You know? It leaves it to where amigos is a woman singing. So it could be a male that she's speaking about. But the lyrics themselves, I'm like, but if it's a male, there's no reason as to why they couldn't be together mm -hmm. and in love in front of society. And the song speaks about how just they could never be accepted by society if they ever were to show their love. So I think it was I was like, oh, my God. And I've been listening to this song all my life. Amazing. Because we love this song. And I was scratching my head and I was like. I think this song is talking about queer love. And I was telling my husband, I said, these lyrics, I don't think are speaking there to like a heterosexual couple. Uh, and I've been in a kick listening to that one. So even if you don't understand it, I think it's beautiful. No, so. we're going to add it on. And it's perfect for Pride Month. We are in June. So it's Pride it Month. Is. So there we it go. Is. Thank you so much. <laughs> Amazing. Well, thank you, Pamela, for talking with me and everyone listening. Thank you. This has been wonderful and treat your pelvic floors right. Pelvic floor queens here.